0: Well, folks, welcome to the free Savage Nation podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you, but for those of you who have been requesting that we provide for you an ad-free podcast, we're going to keep doing that, and in addition to getting the ad-free podcast, which many of you want, for less than the price of a beer in a bar a month, only three ninety nine a month, you're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe I'll read from one of my novels. You're going to get an archive piece going back to 1994. Whatever comes up, you're going to get on an occasional basis. Details will be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. I'm going to give you a link right now. And if you want to join, all you got to do is go to glow.fm slash savage premium. Glow.fm slash savage premium. Glow.fm slash savage premium. If you click on it, You're going to see a cartoon of me. Join Savage's exclusive club with the rate, and you just click and you join. You're going to love it. I appreciate it very much. I hope you join the Savage exclusive club. I want to thank you very much for supporting the Savage Nation podcast, either the free version or the paid version. Your patronage. It's appreciated. It's that simple.
1: When I announced our drawdown in
0: April, I said
1: we would be uh, out by September. And we're on track to meet that target, excuse me. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. The drawdown is proceeding in a secure and orderly way, prioritizing the safety of our troops as they depart. Our military commanders advised me that once I made the decision to end the war, we needed to move swiftly to conduct the main elements of the drawdown. And in this context, speed is safety. And uh, thanks to the way in which we have managed our withdrawal, no one, no one U.S. forces or any forces have, uh, have been
0: lost. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. This is a terrible time in the world. Anyone who has seen the pictures coming out of Afghanistan who doesn't feel sympathy for what Biden has done to these people basically has lost their humanity. I can sit here blaming Biden all day long and it's not going to get us anywhere. Not only is the man showing every sign of pre-senile dementia, flooding America with illegal aliens infected with COVID should be a crime punishable by not only impeachment but imprisonment. Now we see Afghan falling in such a short period of time and it did not have to happen. We may all agree that we don't belong in Afghanistan. Many of us have said we should be out of Afghanistan. That's all well and good. But there's an orderly way to leave a nation that you have occupied. And this does not require military expertise to understand. You do not leave equipment behind. You do not leave bases behind. You do not leave your allies behind. This is an unmitigated disaster that will forever live in infamy. And it is tied to the Obama-Biden administration. Sure, the speech is going to give us the double talk and the crap. But the fact of the matter is, when you see people in a panic running to hold on to an airplane, taxiing down a runway, you have to say this is an unmitigated disaster that will never be forgotten. The images of the helicopters flying off the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, but that was an orderly retreat in some ways compared to this chaos. This is a direct result of Biden's weakness and insanity of the whole administration no responsibility for what has happened whatsoever it is a historical disaster a military collapse unlike any we have ever seen what about the intelligence that we had coming out of afghanistan from the great intelligence agencies under biden who've been busy looking for white supremacists in america completely political garbage as afghanistan is falling to the taliban the u.s embassy falling to the taliban Biden said last month this would not happen. Is
1: a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Why? Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force, against something
0: like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Afghans that helped America and our military being executed right in front of our eyes. Not evacuating them fast enough. And where are they going to bring them? Why, they're bringing them to America. They're bringing them to American Air Force bases in Wisconsin and other places. 30,000 to begin with. It'll be more like 100,000 or more. What is going to happen to this country? Well, ask people about what the Afghanis have done to them in Sweden. The crime wave. Ask the Swedes about the crime wave from their Afghani uh, visitors. My friends, this is just the beginning of a disaster. The fact of the matter is the Taliban seized our Humvees, helicopters, mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles, anti-aircraft guns, armored tanks, artillery, and drones, all left behind by Biden, who was busy looking for white terrorists, white extremists, white supremacists in the U.S. military. General Miley should be fired immediately, but he won't be.
1: The Afghan security forces have the capacity to sufficiently fight and defend their country and we will continue to support the Afghan security forces where necessary in accordance with the guidance from the President and the Secretary of Defense. The future of Afghanistan is squarely in the hands of the Afghan people and there are a range of possible outcomes uh, in Afghanistan and I want to emphasize repeatedly and I've said this before a negative outcome, a Taliban
0: automatic military takeover is not a foregone conclusion. We will continue to monitor the situation closely And make adjustments as necessary. This botched withdrawal is on their watch. The Bagram Airfield prison that housed 5,000 inmates was opened up. And who was released? Al-Qaeda, Taliban, even ISIS members were among the thousands released into the streets of Afghanistan. Hundreds of prisoners are now out there joining the Taliban. Al-Qaeda now has a new safe haven which will allow them to plot and plan another 9-11. And what about China? As you will hear in my interview with a great American general, General Schlosser, who commanded the 101st Airborne, when I bring up the issue of the Silk Road, which has run through Afghanistan since antiquity, you will find that this Silk Road will now be bringing rare earth metals from the earth of Afghanistan right to china so they can continue to control the world chip market but that's only the beginning that is just the beginning sure he addressed the nation the taliban took afghanistan without a fight and what did biden do the entire administration is totally incompetent they promised the american people living there that there was no threat to the city of kabul and the united states embassy just this june the incompetent boob Secretary of Hate, Anthony Blinken, said, we are staying, the embassy is staying, I would not necessarily equate the departure of forces in July, August, or by early September with some immediate deterioration in the situation. He should be fired immediately. In July, Biden said, there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of the United States from Afghanistan. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling...
1: None whatsoever zero what you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy six if i'm not mistaken the taliban is not the south the north vietnamese army they're not they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the of the united states
0: from afghanistan it is not at all comfortable that was biden right 48 hours before the fall of Kabul, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby, another leftist fool, said, quote, there is no intention right now to close the embassy. The situation in Kabul is calm right now. So the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. We have a high in illegal immigration, including COVID infected illegal immigrants flying across America. We have an out of control flying inflation. There's more. And what's going to happen? Nothing, because they own who? They own the U.S. media. Never forget that in 1998, I, Michael Savage, gave a speech at the Commonwealth Club entitled, Beware the Government Media Complex. Never before in U.S. history has the media been so controlled by an administration as it is now under the incompetent and seditious Biden administration. What you will hear in this podcast today is of the utmost importance. I implore all of you to understand something, and this is a direct appeal to all of you. This podcast is amongst the top 0.3% in America. However, it is in trouble. The advertising industry is controlled by Google and Facebook and a few other hands. We are being boycotted, blacklisted, and unless you share this podcast with friends and I mean several friends, and listen to the advertisements and patronize our advertisers, there is a high likelihood this podcast will disappear in the very near future. You have your job cut out for you. Now, Savage Nation, go ahead and do it. Thanks for listening. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Today we wanted an expert on what is actually going on on the ground in Afghanistan, and boy, do we have an expert future. Retired Army General Jeff Schlosser commanded the 101st Airborne Division for 33 months in Afghanistan, 15 months in combat in Afghanistan. He was an assistant division commander in the 101st Airborne Division in Iraq 20304, the first global war on terrorism planning director in the Pentagon after 9-11, and the first deputy director of the National Counterterrorism Center for Strategic Operational Planning. He's a real American, a great American, a hero. Wait until you hear him. He has a new book out called Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. This is the bedrock of America. As you listen to this man, you will hear the voice of America. I hope you enjoy this on the Savage Nation podcast. Can you hear me? Yeah. You're you're a general then, correct? Yeah, yeah. Two-star general. Forgive my... Uh, civilian stupidity in terms of rank. <laughs> no, no, I'm just. Believe me, I I I respect rank enormously. I worked very hard for my PhD from a real university, and I I understand what rank means. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, we will refer to you as General Schlosser, correct? Yeah, you got
2: it. Yeah, this is Michael, right? Yes, sir. I mean, how many guys have a PhD? You know, I mean, in, you know, I was looking at your bio. Jeez. I can't even pronounce some of the stuff that you got got uh, degrees in.
0: Well, it's not the same as taking a, 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 a some shrapnel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait
2: a minute. Now, the way I understand it, uh, you know, academia is not all that easy. It's like um, combat. At least, at least when you're fighting, you often know that you're fighting an enemy.
0: You got that right. Well, I'm not in academia for precisely that reason, because the undermining was identical to what they did to, uh, to President Trump,
2: to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I
0: can believe it. Yeah, I can so believe it, yeah. I did fight my way through the world of the media, and I'm doing these podcasts, and I'm so honored to have you uh, on the Savage Nation podcast today. What's going on in Afghanistan is, the is the is to me, the greatest humanitarian tragedy I have seen in my lifetime studying politics. I believe this is bigger than Saigon, General. What do you think? Yeah, I think that,
2: uh, you know, I mean, my dad did three tours in Vietnam, Michael, and, uh, you know, I remember watching in 1975, watching both the the Hueys trying to take off from the top of the U.S. Embassy and then later being pushed off the aircraft carrier off off the coast after they had brought the civilians out there. This is bigger. I mean, uh, the part about Saigon and Vietnam falling, it was tragic, obviously, and we would look like we were trying to uh, depart uh, without, uh, you know, consideration of all those that helped us. But we did eventually get over 100,000 Vietnamese to America, and and they are great Americans now. What we did not have was an existential threat that came after that. The North Vietnamese were not going to come across the Pacific and attack America. In this case, what you've got is these horrific scenes, you know, somebody dropping off the C-17 who tried to stay on and get into the wheel well, uh, the Chinooks on top of the U.S. Embassy. I've been in the U.S. Embassy multiple times and been on that rooftop, and I know the pad very well. So, I mean, those are exact scenes. But, uh, you know, what is also beyond, probably beyond sight right now is, is that as the Taliban have taken over uh, Afghanistan, al-Qaeda has come back in. And Al-Qaeda it does pose a threat. If it's not existential, you know, it's not a nuclear threat, hopefully, God God forbid mm-hmm. that. But they will come and they will start the plot against us. They will train to attack us and our citizens, both in the United States, here, in the United States and abroad. And, abroad. and we should expect them to be back in the game mm-hmm. uh, against the United States and the West. And, and so there is this other part besides the horrific scenes that we are seeing, you know, on the videos and on the TV and things of that nature, it's this, this, you know, basically a strategic debacle uh, where we are allowing um, the exact threat that we went after two decades ago uh, to capture and kill them. We're allowing them to come back into the country through our, basically, our lack of uh, uh, planning and execution and detailed you know, nose from the grind uh, uh, execution
0: of this uh, withdrawal. General, you commanded the 101st Airborne Division, which is astonishingly important. You've been in Afghanistan for a long time. You were there for Operation Enduring Freedom. So you know this from the inside out. Bagram Air Force Base has fallen. They released not only Taliban, as I understand it, from the prison at Bagram, but they released ISIS terrorists from from Bagram. Do you know anything more about that?
2: Absolutely. You know, under my watch while I was there, in fact, I talk about this in my book, Marathon War, but, um, you know, under my watch, we moved that to a much larger facility at the edge of Bagram, and we eventually handed it on over to the Afghans to manage. But uh, inside that uh, prison were 5,000 Taliban, as well as, in my time, al-Qaeda, Uh, and a whole bunch of other terrorist groups that were participating in in fighting us.
1: Um,
2: so that, and the one that was in Kabul that was also, uh, quote unquote, liberated in the last two days have allowed 10,000 former prisoners, 10,000 former Taliban, 10,000, you know, in total terrorists, uh, to be released. Uh, it's absolutely stunningly it's nuts i mean you know what's happened you know how could this have happened uh, under our watch but it did
0: your book marathon war you talk about leadership in combat in afghanistan and president trump recently gave an interview it was yesterday where he said he would have he wanted to withdraw everyone knows that so naturally the liberals are blaming him that's what they're trying to do is link biden's withdrawal to Trump's. but trump said he never would have withdrawn this way he had a plan would a, a plan of the type that President Trump outlined, would it have actually worked?
2: Well, I'm, uh, Michael, I'm going to be 100% frank with you. I believe negotiating with uh, another partner requires the mutual level of some level of trust. And I don't believe, I can't understand how any American could have trusted uh, the Taliban. I, hmm. I never did. Uh, and so it, it goes well beyond President Reagan's warning that you got to, you know, trust but verify. There was nothing really to verify in the negotiations that have occurred over the last several years. I and mean, let's not, I don't want to place this on either uh, President Trump, uh, his administration. Believe me, I mean, I worked for President Bush. I worked directly for him. I briefed him. You mm. um, know, I, I talked to him. I gave him my advice uh, multiple times, probably sometimes wrong. Uh, while I was in Afghanistan, and he came to see me, and or us, I briefed Senator Barack Obama and told him what I thought, which I, at the time I told him we needed a lot more troops and a lot more capability. Hmm. My belief is, is both both Bush, Obama, Trump, and this president, they all wanted to, you know, uh, uh, eventually leave Afghanistan. I think they all wanted, well, at least the, the former three wanted to leave it in a different shape. Um I, I can't speak for you know President Trump. I never I've never spoken to the man. But what I will say is is that hmm. um it takes it takes a president to listen sometimes to their advisors, their military advisors. And I do believe in this case um that had the advice been followed we would not be in this position.
0: You know, well, there's a way to withdraw. General, uh, i so let me just General, I'm sorry. I don't to interrupt you. Go on. So yeah. Trump said We were going to not let people get slaughtered, it's easy to say. I wanted to get out, but you have to get out safely, and you have to get out with respect. We had all sorts of conditions. All civilians were going to be coming out before the military. Everyone should have been out before they took the military out. Then Trump went on to say, I was going to close this ridiculous embassy they spent a billion dollars on and move everybody out. But here's the part I want to ask you about. Trump said, I was going to blow up every military base before we left. I was going to take out every single piece of equipment. I don't want anything left apart from something he said, leave each soldier a gun. So was that realistic, to blow up every military base before leaving?
2: Probably not. I mean, they certainly tried, the Soviets tried to do the same thing. When I went in the Bagram, they were still in the middle of the runway, not in the runway, in the middle of the airfield there at Bagram, which was where my headquarters was. They were, you know, uh, Soviet tanks, Soviet MiG fighters that had just been towed in the middle and, and they had destroyed them as much as they could. Wow. Uh, could we have done that? Sure. But here was the... The strength of the Taliban over the last several, really last couple of months, is they've been going in and, and not even fighting. They've been basically uh, uh, receiving the surrender of Afghan troops, uh, negotiating their safe passage back to their home, giving them some pocket money. Um, but what they've been doing is seizing the military equipment that the Afghan army had. Oh. And so whether we blew up our stuff or not, I mean, the majority of our, I think, of the, the key equipment, military equipment, that, that Americans were using has been gone for years. I mean, we stopped really fighting as a as an army or as a Marine Corps uh, several years ago. We haven't had a combat casualty in Afghanistan in a year and a half. That's why I mm-hmm. still believe that we could have maintained our presence for a little longer mm-hmm. uh, to give that to give that backbone to the government and to the army. But, mm-hmm. but the Vietnam. Let me let me answer, Michael. They got the equipment that they have now from the Afghan army, and, uh, and they're going to be pretty darn well-equipped uh, fighting force, unlike when they took over uh, back uh, in '96. Uh,
0: so they're going to be a well-equipped fighting force. They're very smart. They have very good leadership. They're aligned with Iran. What do you think is going to happen with regard to Iraq? Well,
2: I think right now that the Afghans uh, probably will not play a role in Iraq. I mean, I think that Iraq is, we are deeply concerned about uh, any kind of rise, further rise in the Islamic State. And, uh, and let's remember that Islamic State just got freed as well in Afghanistan. And they'll probably be replotting, whether it's in Syria and Iraq, uh, their next Emir- Emirate, or whether they'll actually try to fight the Taliban. That could That could be the case in Afghanistan as well. Um, What I do think, though, is is that, you know, the United States has got to stay in Iraq. My God, we can't withdraw like this because uh, there are the – if we do that, the Ar- Iran and their proxy forces, whether it's the Iranian militias, the Hezbollah, which is a proxy force for Iran, mm-hmm. Al-Quds force, they're going to go ahead and, and, you know, again, pressure that entire region. We have a lot of good allies there. We need the free flow of oil still, even as we frack and, we, you know, we have more oil in our country our allies uh, japan and uh, europe need that oil and you want to see an oil spike you want to see uh, ten dollars a gallon all you got to do is stop that oil from going out the straits of hormuz wow. so we're going to pay a lot of attention there i mean i think we god god forbid that we try to do a withdrawal like we just did uh, uh from afghanistan in iraq that would that would be horrific as well
0: we'll be right back after this quick break the Savage Nation. It's Savage on Demand. We're speaking with a man who's been there. Commanded the 101st Airborne. Did so many other things. But we're talking about a retired general, Schlosser, and he has 34 years in the army. Served in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kosovo, Albania, Kuwait, Haiti, Jordan, Korea. You were, were you a helicopter pilot at any
2: point, General? Yeah. Yeah, I sure was. I went to flight school in 1980, and uh, in fact, I learned to fly on that Bell Huey that you saw being, uh, you know, in the Saigon uh, uh, evacuation in 1975. Not the exact uh, plane, but uh, that's how I learned to fly in 1980. Yeah, back and forth, you know, as a combat engine. I went in the Army, Michael, as a private, and, and exited as a two-star general. I mean, you know, that was... Well, yeah, and it was based upon you know uh, uh, a lot of great soldiers helping me get along. I think is what it was, and then you know uh, just uh, sheer hard work, and I think in, sort of, in sort of my case and stuff. But yeah, I was a helicopter pilot multiple places, you know. Um, so it's uh, it was a great privilege to do that. I mean, the greatest privilege though was commanding the 101st Airborne Division, and I was hit by the in Afghanistan, but I was also in Iraq. Uh, I was uh, General Petraeus' deputy in the 101st. <laughs> Uh, in
0: 2003 and 2004. Wow. What a, what a bio you have, General. So, you know what happened. When the announcement was made that our troops are going to be pulled, you did predict that the Taliban would eventually take over. But, why did this happen so quickly in your estimation?
2: Well, you know, I, one of the things I do talk about in Marathon War is that I totally misunderstood the level of corruption inside the uh, the culture of Afghanistan, and it permeated every part. The Army, it permeated the government, etc And I think it happened so rapidly because, you know, at the end of the day, this culture, uh, let's remember, it's been invaded so many times. It started with Alexander the Great in 323 B.C. By the way, he uh, camped out in Bagram Airfield, which is where the Soviets and then my headquarters was. Wow. Um, Genghis Khan piled up heads. I mean, it goes on and on and on. They have a culture of repelling uh, invaders, and the Taliban were able to make us the invaders in spite of giving a dreams in uh, the future to a whole uh, generation of Afghans that were born on 9-11 and after, um, of actually having, you know, real human rights. In spite of all that, I think there's a lot of Afghans that understand that, hey, the Taliban are Afghans. They're here where they're not invaders. These Americans and all their NATO allies—they may be considered invaders—and so mm. I think that uh, they played that in a way that we really didn't understand. Mm. I saw it in 08 and 2008 and 2009. I write a lot about it. But that level then means that if you know the idea that uh, these are invaders, hey, then it doesn't matter if they decide to switch sides. It doesn't matter if they mm. actually have a ghost army in some cases. You know, in other words, uh, where the names on the rolls and the money that gets paid to the commanders, there's no soldier there, you know. So uh, we didn't understand that, and it took years for us to understand.
0: Are we going to see the Taliban are behaving very cleverly from a PR point of view right now, aren't they? They're making believe it's an orderly transition. They're not shooting people on the tarmac. They're not executing Americans. Somebody knows what they're doing, but many of us who are looking from the outside are fearing that there will be massive slaughter, you know, in months, weeks and months to come as they go village to village and hunt down those who work for or or with the Americans? Or do you think they will, (laughs) in some way, be less vicious than they are known to be? I think that you're going to see a PR, uh,
2: you know, public relations media campaign that's masterful um, when they want to show that they're being – You know, able to incorporate other parts of, uh, the political parties of Afghanistan into their government as long as they're in control, you'll see that. When they want to, when you want to see benevolence or you want to see a female, maybe a, uh, it won't be a radio or TV announcer, I don't think, but, uh, a female having some level of freedoms, they'll show that. Mm. Um, the further you get outside of the bigger cities, you're going to see that uh, they are very much back to the medieval, medieval ages. We've already seen it in the north. The report's coming out, and, they're, uh, they're, again, they're really being filtered. Mm. But the women have been ordered back in the home, can't come out with a male companion, and you have to wear a burqa, which is a blue sheet from head to toe. Uh, you know, by the way, you can do anything you want as far as a job as long as you do it inside the house. And uh, when you come out, you have to have a male companion. Undead. We'll see how that all plays out, but uh, you know, as far as assassinating those that uh, work with us, you'll see that behind the scenes. Um, you know, my fear is is that a lot of the reporting is going to just dry up because it will either be a Taliban report or mm-hmm. there'll be no one to be able to, under, you know, no one reporting that will be able to show it.
0: Sure, it'll be Al Jazeera, so straight propaganda will be coming out of Afghanistan. We won't even know what's going on, and moreover, right. Americans will forget this story probably in another week after the. Uh, falling uh, out of airplane military transport leaving Kabul they're on to the next story uh they'll be into a you know the COVID back to COVID now Haiti and this and that America's news cycle and all of this business but getting back to Afghanistan is it strategically important to the United States in any way
2: absolutely and it's strategically important uh, Michael because first because of the al-Qaeda that are coming back in who intend to attack our country. That's number one. Number two, I invite our Americans to pull out a map. Afghanistan's bordered on the west by Iran. No friend of the United States. While we were there, we could pressure Iran. It's bordered to the east by a nuclear-armed Pakistan and also to China. Uh, to the south is the Persian Gulf, which is where the oil flows, Mike. And uh, and then to the north are the Russian former Soviet republics of uh, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. So it is a prime area of, of strategic importance. Having U.S. Uh, presence there was really, really important. Not being there is going to be a gap, you know, a void that I think uh, we're going to regret. So if
0: I go back in my knowledge of history and I say two words, the Silk Road, the Silk Road, which ran from China as a major trade route, did it it intersect through Afghanistan? Is that what I'm...
2: Yeah, um, it sure did. In fact, the last time that the uh, Taliban were in control, they blew up uh, two uh, 150-foot Buddhas on the Silk Road in Damian. Totally destroyed Uh, because they, they were icons of a different religion. Yeah, and Silk Road went right through there, and then went north to
0: Samarkand. Yep. So it's always been a crossroads for trade coming to and from China. since yes. just antiquity, correct? Yes. Well, I, you're
2: going to see uh, that recreated, Michael. Um, you know, there's huge minerals. There's rare earth, earth inside of Afghanistan that have never been mined. Uh, the copper mm. mine, though, is the oldest in the world, I believe, or at least one of the oldest. It's huge. Chinese huh? wanted to seize it, and you're going to see a – you will rapidly see a breakaway going from China into Afghanistan. Mark, my oh, words.
0: You mentioned rare, rare metals, which is a big story because we – all of our chips are made with them. Uh, we have very little of our own, and the few that we do own, some are owned by Chinese companies. It's a national defense nightmare. So now we are hearing that these rare earths that are in the ground in Afghanistan might fall into the hands of China. Yes. Unbelievable. That,
2: that, I believe that's going to be a fact, and that's going to happen within the next year or two. Isn't
0: that something? Again, going back to your important book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan, you actually are talking about not only the long view, but the importance of strong leadership. And I know that you don't want to take a position against a politician on this uh, podcast. <laughs> you don't need to make enemies for no reason. I mean that would be that would be foolish, but do you really do you actually think that Biden doesn't have some responsibility for this?
2: Oh, there's absolutely I yes. I I I I am going to be fascinatingly I'm trying to listen to his uh, T V show this afternoon. No, I,
0: I you know, wait, yeah, I I can't wait for that speech myself. I don't know what he can say. But but general, if he blames Trump, I think he's gonna make the biggest mistake of his career. He cannot pass the buck. Yeah.
2: Well, Michael, you know that in Washington D.C., you know, uh, when debacles happen, they all, oh, they start pulling up the index finger and pointing it in a different direction, right? Uh, I'm a huge believer in taking responsibility for your actions. I mean, I, uh, you know, I write about that in Marathon More. I've taken responsibility for the deaths of the 180 soldiers and Marines and sailors and airmen that I sent out to do things under my orders. And that, you know, I wake up to that and I go to bed at night, uh, based on that. Mm. I think that, uh, it's very important for this administration to take responsibility for the debacle that's occurring and has already occurred, uh, and then try to do the very best they can to mitigate, uh, both in Afghanistan, the impact, uh, to Afghans that, uh, we gave promises to, but also to an American people. Uh, I am not pulling any punches here. I, I truly do believe Al Qaeda. It will be back uh, and stronger than ever within a relatively short period of time, and they will be plotting not against the Afghans; they'll be plotting against us and our friends, uh, the NATO allies that have been in Afghanistan. It's the proverbial
0: West General. I don't understand something as a civilian. Why did they did they need to take over Afghanistan to plot against us? Why could they not have been doing so before seizing control of the entire country?
2: Yeah, so let's differentiate. The Taliban want to seize the country. They're insurgents. They're Afghanistan. They're Afghans. They want to be in control. But they also don't mind having terror groups among them as long as they believe in the same Sharia laws, the radical Islam that uh, the Taliban do. And so that's how al-Qaeda was able to thrive prior to 9-11. Since 9-11, though, we have been pounding the heck out of behind the scenes with intelligence agencies, with military forces, with special operations forces, We've been keeping Al Qaeda, their head down, right? Uh, and so they've been, they haven't been much in the country. I mean, every now and then we would have an Al Qaeda uh, fighter, uh, who unfortunately crossed the border and got himself killed or got captured, you know? Um, uh, but generally speaking, we were pressuring them. They had gone uh, off to, uh, uh, Pakistan where they, they tried to have safe haven. That's where Osama bin Laden was finally killed in, uh, you know, 2011 there by our special operations forces. So we kept the pressure on them, right? It's like a hammer over their head. As soon as they would come up on the phone, we'd go after them. Um, But all that said, uh, now now they won't have to keep their head down. I mean, uh, essentially they're going to have a safe haven in Afghanistan, just like they had prior to 9-11. You know, every now and then we can send a cruise missile that way or we can even send a bomber that way. But the chances of killing civilians are extraordinarily high. The chances of really killing an important Al-Qaeda member is a lot lower, given that we won't have any human intelligence or nothing to speak of on the wow. ground in Afghanistan.
0: So that's the differential. You yeah. had you had special forces keeping them under control, and you you're not gonna we're not gonna have that right now. They're not gonna be there. In plain English, General. Before you go, and I know you've got a busy day, and we're all waiting to hear uh, uh, the commander in chief <laughs> uh, speak on this issue. I'm giggling because I have no faith in that man whatsoever, whatever. And I'm asking another question here that is of some direct interest in some way to the world. Israel, Israel, Israel. They must be really worried today. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, our close allies, our closest allies, um, Israel, the U.K., others of that nature, people in Europe as well as, uh, you know, all of our allies around the world, they ought to be taking a hard look, you know, Korea, Japan, and stuff like that, and they're going, huh, is this what it means to be supported by the U.S.? Is this what it means to have, you know, uh, you know uh, any close ties with the United States of America? Um, I think Israel uh, is probably recalculating uh, just exactly, you know, uh, our role in uh, their security, and you may see them want to take a broader uh, strategic role, Again, they can already fight uh, pretty darn well tactically all around their country. It's you know, it's against countries like Iran and things of that nature that have ballistic missiles that they're probably going to be taking a hard look at and saying, We need to recalculate.
0: Generals strategically thinking beyond the Middle East, China's watching, Russia's watching, China, as we all know, considers Taiwan a renegade province. Do you think we're going to see an Anschluss moment with regard to well, Taiwan? I certainly hope
2: not. I mean, uh, because at at this point in time, I mean, this is not a a direct weakness of the U.S. military. I mean, and we are focused on China, there's no doubt about it, and uh, trying to uh, catch up, uh, you know, in modernization and things of that nature. I can't – what I can't speak to is the will, the will to actually stick together with your allies. That I cannot talk about. But I can tell you that the military can protect – our close allies when they're authorized to do so by the civilian leadership. Let me just leave, leave it at that.
1: Okay. Exactly. Um,
2: yeah, but I, I, it would be a bad decision on the China's part uh, to do something of that nature in Taiwan. Something uh, similar, though, on a much lower scale, like what Russia did in the Crimea, that's always possible.
0: Mm-hmm. General Jeffrey Schlosser book is Marathon War I highly recommend it to all of my listeners to the Michael Savage podcast it's been a real honor for me and I want to thank you very much for the time you gave us today on the savage nation podcast well thanks for having me, Michael the savage nation it's savage uncut unfiltered and raw well many of you did not get a chance to hear President Biden's speech on his premature evacuation from Afghanistan When I was on the radio, I used to respond to the speeches live on air, which I developed as a technique now copied by all, you know, during the speeches, I would ridicule them. This time I tweeted my thoughts during his speech. It was outrageous. He was just passing the buck, wouldn't take questions. And for you, my podcast listeners, this is how the speech sounded with my comments live.
1: Good afternoon. I want to speak today to the unfolding situation in Afghanistan the developments that have taken place in the last week, and the steps we're taking to address the rapidly evolving events. My national security team and I have been closely monitoring the situation on the ground in Afghanistan and moving quickly to execute the plans we had put in place to respond to every constituency, including and contingency, including the rapid collapse we're seeing now. I'll speak more in a moment about the specific steps we're taking But I want to remind everyone how we got here and what America's interests are in Afghanistan. We went to Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Get those who attacked us on September 11th, 2001, and make sure al Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which to attack us again. We did that. We severely degraded al Qaeda in Afghanistan. We never gave up the hunt for Osama bin Laden and we got him. That was a decade ago. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today, what it has always been preventing a terrorist attack on American homeland. I've argued for many years that our missions should be narrowly focused on counterterrorism, not counterinsurgency or nation-building. That's why I opposed the surge when it was proposed in 2009, when I was vice president. And that's why, as president, I'm adamant that we focus on the threats we face today in 2021, not yesterday's
0: threat. Lying Biden passing the buck Today, refuses to take responsibility Israel for the his abrupt pull metastasized
1: pullout. Well beyond Afghanistan, Al Shabaab in Somalia, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, Al Nusra in Syria, ISIS attempting to create a caliphate in Syria and Iraq, and establishing affiliates in multiple countries in Africa and Asia. These threats warrant our attention and our resources we conduct effective counterterrorism missions against terrorist groups in multiple countries where we don't have permanent military presence if necessary we'll do the same in afghanistan we've developed counterterrorism over the horizon capability that will allow us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the direct threats to the united states in the region And act quickly and decisively if needed. When I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the
0: Taliban. More left wing lip service passing the book. What a disgrace.
1: U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021. Just a little over three months after I took office. U.S. forces had already drawn down during the Trump administration from roughly 15,500 American forces to 2,500 troops in country. And the Taliban was at its strongest militarily since 2001. The choice I had to make as your president was either to follow through on that agreement or be prepared to go back to fighting the Taliban in the middle of the spring fighting season. There would have been no ceasefire after May 1. There was no agreement protecting our forces after May 1. There was no status quo of stability without American casualties after May 1. There was only a cold reality of either following through on the agreement to withdraw our forces or escalating the conflict and sending thousands more American troops back into combat in Afghanistan, lurching into the third decade of conflict.
0: Could you believe he actually said I that? And thinks you would believe? Behind
1: my decision, after 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. We plan for every contingency but lies i always promise the american people that i will be straight with you the truth is this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated so what's happened afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country the afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight if anything the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. We spent over a trillion dollars. We trained and equipped an Afghan military force with some three 100,000 strong, incredibly well-equipped, a force larger in size than the militaries of many of our NATO allies. We gave them every tool they could need. We paid their salaries, provided for the maintenance of their Air Force, something the Taliban doesn't have. Taliban does not have an Air Force. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. What we could not provide them was the will to fight for that future.
0: Ah, oh, come on now, Joe. There's some very brave and
1: capable Afghan special forces units and soldiers. But if Afghanistan is unable to mount any real resistance of the Taliban now, there is no chance that one year, one more year, five more years, or 20 more years of U.S. military boots in the ground would have made any difference. And here's what I believe to my core. It is wrong to order American troops to step up when Afghanistan's own armed forces would not. If the political leaders of Af- Afghanistan were unable to come together for the good of their people, unable to negotiate for the future of their country, when the chips were down. They would never have done so while U.S. troops remained in Afghanistan, bearing the brunt of the fighting for them. And our true strategic competitors, China and Russia, would love nothing more than the United States to continue to funnel billions of dollars in resources and attention into stabilizing Afghanistan indefinitely. When I hosted President Ghani and Chairman Abdullah at the White House in June, and again when I spoke by phone to Ghani in July, we had very frank conversations. We talked about how Afghanistan should prepare to fight their civil wars after the U.S. military departed, to clean up the corruption in government so the government could function for the Afghan people, we talked extensively about the need for Afghan leaders to unite politically. They fail to do any of that. I also urge them to engage in diplomacy, to seek a political settlement with the Taliban. This advice was flatly refused. Mr. Ghani insisted the Afghan forces would fight.
0: But obviously he was wrong. We need to take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Savage Nation podcast. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Many of you did not get a chance to hear President Biden's speech on his premature evacuation from Afghanistan. This is how the speech sounded with my comments live. So
1: I'm left again to ask of those who argue that we should stay. How many more generations of America's daughters and sons would you have me send to fight Afghanistan's civil war? and Afghan troops will not. How many more lives, American lives, is it worth? How many endless rows of headstones at Arlington National Cemetery? I'm clear on my answer. I will not repeat the mistakes we've made in the past. Mistake of staying and fighting indefinitely in a conflict that is not in the national interest of the United States. Of doubling down on a civil war in a foreign country, of attempting to remake a country through the endless military deployments of U.S. forces. Those are the mistakes we cannot continue to repeat because we have significant vital interests in the world that we cannot afford to ignore. I also want to acknowledge how painful this is to so many of us. The scenes we're seeing in Afghanistan, they're gut-wrenching particularly for our veterans, our diplomats, humanitarian workers, for anyone who has spent time on the ground working to support the Afghan people, for those who have lost loved ones in Afghanistan, and for Americans who have fought and served in the country, serve our country in Afghanistan. This is deeply, deeply personal. It is for me as well. I've worked on these issues as long as anyone. I've been throughout Afghanistan during this war, while the war was going on, from Kabul to Kandahar, to the Kunar Valley. I've traveled there on four different occasions. i met with the people. I've spoken to the leaders. i spent time with our troops. And I came to understand firsthand what was and was not possible in Afghanistan. So now we're focused on what is possible.
0: Senile Quisling. We will
1: continue to support the Afghan people. We will lead with our diplomacy, our international influence, and our humanitarian aid. We'll continue to push for regional diplomacy and engagement to prevent violence and instability. We'll continue to speak out for the basic rights of the Afghan people, of women and girls, just as we speak out all over the world. I've been clear the human rights must be the center of our foreign policy, not the periphery. But the way to do it is not through endless military deployments. It's with our diplomacy, our economic tools and rallying the
0: world to join us. Talking about everything but his premature evacuation from Afghanistan. Afghanistan.
1: I was asked to authorize and I did six thousand U.S. troops to deploy to Afghanistan for the purpose of assisting in the departure of U.S. and allied civilian personnel from Afghanistan and to evacuate our Afghan allies and vulnerable Afghans to safety outside of Afghanistan. Our troops are working to secure the airfield and ensure continued operation of both the civilian and military flights. We're taking over air traffic control We have safely shut down our embassy and transferred our diplomats. Our our diplomatic presence is now consolidated at the airport as well. Over the coming days, we intend to transport out thousands of American citizens who have been living and working in Afghanistan. We'll also continue to support the safe departure of civilian personnel, the civilian personnel of our allies who are still serving in Afghanistan. Operation Allies Refugee, which I announced back in July, has already moved 2,000 Afghans who are eligible for special immigration visas and their families to the United States. In the coming days, the U.S. military will provide assistance to move move more SIV-eligible Afghans and their families out of Afghanistan. We're also expanding refugee access to cover other vulnerable Afghans who worked for our embassy, U.S. non-governmental agencies or uh, U.S. non-governmental organizations, and Afghans who otherwise are at great risk, and U.S. news agencies. I know there are concerns about why we did not begin evacuating Afghan civilians sooner. Part of the answer is some of the Afghans did not want to leave earlier still hopeful for their country lies lies the and more lies and its supporters discourage us from organizing a mass exodus to avoid triggering as they said a crisis of confidence american troops are performing this mission as professionally and as effectively as they always do but it is not without risks as we carry out this departure We have made it clear to the Taliban if they attack our personnel or disrupt our operation. The U.S. presence will be swift and the response will be swift and forceful. We will defend our people with devastating force if necessary. Our current military mission will be short in time, limited in scope and focused in its objectives get our people and our allies as safely as quickly as possible. And once we have completed this mission, we will conclude our military withdrawal. We'll end America's longest war after 20 long years of bloodshed. The events we're seeing now are sadly proof that no amount of military force would ever deliver a stable United, secure Afghanistan, as known in history as the graveyard of empires. What's happening now could just as easily happen five years ago or 15 years in the future. You have to be honest. Our mission in Afghanistan has taken many missteps, made many missteps over the past two decades. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan. Two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibly on, responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me.
0: Even you know we're not going to believe that.
1: I'm deeply saddened by the facts we now face. But I do not regret my decision to end America's war fighting in Afghanistan and maintain a laser focus on our counterterrorism missions there and other parts of the world. Our mission to degrade the terrorist threat of Al Qaeda in Afghanistan and kill Osama bin Laden was a success. Our decades long effort to overcome centuries of history and permanently change and remake Afghanistan was not. And I wrote and believed it never could be. I cannot and will not ask our troops to fight on endlessly another in another country's civil war. Taking casualties, suffering life shattering injuries, leaving families broken by grief and loss. This is not in our national security interest. It is not what the American people want. It is not what our troops, who have sacrificed so much over the past two decades, deserve. I made a commitment to the American people when I ran for president that I would bring America's military involvement in Afghanistan to an end. While it's been hard and messy, and yes, far from perfect, I've honored that commitment. More importantly, I made a commitment to the brave men and women who serve this nation that I wasn't going to ask them to continue to risk their lives in a military action that should have ended long ago. Our leaders did that in Vietnam when I got here as a young man. I will not do it in Afghanistan. I know my decision will be criticized. But I would rather take all that criticism and pass this decision on to another president of the United States, yet another one, a fifth one. Because it's the right one. It's the right decision for our people. The right one for our brave service members who risk their lives serving our nation. And it's the right one for America. Thank you. May God protect our troops, our diplomats, and all brave Americans
0: serving in harm's way. Servile Joe slinks away without taking a single question. Joe blows smoke up the skirts of American sheeple. Andy blooper sighs. Jake Tapper faints. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.